Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans, welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alfstead, here with Mr. Keith Myers. Keith, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. It is, uh, you know, we're, we're now into the offseason, and we're, every NFL team is now into the offseason. So we get to, um, to jump in and uh, really dig into some of the meat of what the Seahawks need to do uh, with their roster and, and to get ready for next year. So this is a priority show. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to be talking about uh not just what they need to do but because resources are always limited. Yes, the Seahawks have a lot of resources this year, but it's not infinite. Um and so there has to be priorities, right? Where where are you going to throw the most resources? The most cap space, the most um you know, your high draft picks. Where are you going to invest uh your resources uh this off season? Yeah, I mean the last couple the last couple of shows we did a pretty deep dive in in the entire roster, went through all the position groups, all the players, kind of gave you a status as to where they're at contract wise, uh, where they're at free agency wise, um, if we're solidified in those spots and so forth. Today we're going to take a little uh, more of a deep dive into exactly what Keith said, uh, which of those position groups are have caught our attention. Uh, where is the team going to expend uh, resources, at least from our opinion, and uh, where, where they're likely to do it, whether that be free agency, maybe a trade, maybe in the draft. And so all those things combined put together the offseason uh, every year. And we kind of we have fun with this kind of stuff because this, uh, this is the bread and butter type of the offseason. As you know, uh, if you've been following the show at all, the, the Seahawks Playbook podcast, we don't take any weeks off. So we're constantly looking for uh, more information to provide everybody and kind of gives a, a deeper insight overall. It helps us uh, stay relevant uh, with team news. And just as a personal thing for me, I, that's kind of why I love to do the show. And then for everyone else to kind of listen and kind of glean out what they can from the show. Um, so how was your week? So the Super Bowl, did you watch the Super Bowl? Did you care? Uh, uh, I didn't, else, I didn't care on? that much. I didn't really care that much about uh, the result uh, other than I really wanted to see Andy Reid finally get one because he's, you know, he's one of the top coaches in NFL history. Um, you know, he's done done what he's done um, in a yeah. lot of different ways and it's been great. Uh, and, you know, he was a very old school uh, homegrown disciple. Um, and you know, it was one of those things. So he was an it was an old school West Coast offense back in the day, uh, and he that's the system that he ran. And he had to evolve to win with Donovan McNabb, and then he had to evolve again to win with Alex Smith, and then he had to evolve again to take advantage of the insane gifts and talents of Patrick Mahomes. And I don't think he's ever give, been given the credit for be continuing to evolve, continuing to be uh, innovative and continuing to be one of the top coaches and not get, get complacent or just, I I have this system, I know it works and then watch the NFL just, you know, 
fly by. Uh, he's always been on the, the forefront of, of what teams are doing offensively, but he doesn't get the credit for doing that. He's been a great coach um, for a long time, and it's great to see him finally get that championship. And uh, do it against the 49ers it. was, was oh, yeah, icing on the cake. <clears throat> having the 49ers lose, having them blow a lead, having Jimmy Garoppolo exposed um, as being right, ju- you know, just a guy, um, all of which, you know, it makes it a little sweeter. Um, but at the same time, like, it's not like I would have been upset if the 49ers had won that. They were, they were a pretty dang good football team, especially that defense. Um, and honestly, honestly, going in, I wanted the Chiefs to win, but I expected the 49ers to because of that defense. So I, um, yeah, I like the result, but I wouldn't have been mad the other way. Good team's going to play. So speaking of defense, you know, Pete Carroll talks about closing the circle with this team. And what he means by that is he wants to win in all aspects. So he wants a tough physical game, uh, running game. Uh, He wants explosive plays out of the passing game. He wants a strong defense that can stop the run and create turnovers. And a kind of a top five special teams uh, play out of his special teams. Um, and that, that's the ingredients for Pete Carroll to put together a winning team. And, you know, a couple of years ago, Keith, it was the offensive side of the ball that was struggling a little bit. Our, our, our running game was ranked close to last or last in the NFL. And they revamped that whole thing. They jettisoned the coaches. They drafted uh, high, uh, draft pick, uh, capital, uh, towards the position. They got Chris Carson, they invested in their offensive line a bit, and uh, they turned that around. Uh, mm-hmm. It's likely, given that, uh, that we know the team likes to attack the problems and fix the issues, and I totally see them doing that with the defense this year. Um, to me, that's where the problem is. Everybody likes to complain about Brian Schottenheimer and the offense and wasting away Russell Wilson's years, blah, 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 blah. That's complete bull. For me, it's all about the defense and the inability of the defense to stop the run and get to the quarterback. Um, and everything else, you know, kind of falls into place around that. But those are the key issues, I think, for the for the team, for me. And so as as I go through this process today and rank the positions of need, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, it mm-hmm. doesn't mean I ignore the offense, but it uh, the the defense for me is where they're going to spend a lot of their money. They're going to spend a lot of their draft capital to kind of throw talent at at the issues that they do have. What do you yeah, think? They're going <clears> to <throat> they're going to throw some monies at the issues. They're going to throw some draft pick at the issues. They're going to try and load up the defense this year, and they need to. And I, I'm going to agree with that. Uh, we can get in as we prioritize all this a little more specific. Uh, and I do think they need to do that, but you know, at least for me, my second, uh, the second item on my list is is still on the offense. Yeah. Uh, because even though, I mean, Russell Wilson covers up a lot of flaws offensively, uh, but that doesn't mean there aren't flaws. And one of the flaws is, you know, the scheme and the coaching staff, and that's not going to change, unfortunately. Um, so if it's not going to, look, like, let's let's make it easier on on Russ, um, and so that he can take and do what he does and take it to another level so that way that way 
if there are times when, you know, the offense has to go win a game because the defense struggles for one reason or another, um, that it's, it's easier on Russ to go do that. And so I, I don't want to neglect the offense. I think there are holes. And just because they're a top 10 offense doesn't make mean there's not holes. I mean, it's, there's more than there has to be more than just Russell Wilson being a miracle worker uh, on that side of the ball. So, um, yes, a lot of it's defense this year is it's that's who it's going to be. They're going to spend a lot of money on, and a lot of resources on defense. But there are still a couple things they need to add offensively. Uh, and so as we as we go through this um, list of priorities, um, you know, I, I, that's where I'm coming from is 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 tr- looking at. Yes, they have big. They have a really big thing, but let's keep balance as, as we go. So, um, and with that, I think my guess is that uh, if you and I uh, <laughs> we start at the top, what is the biggest <laughs> priority? What is the one thing that the team cannot go into next season without adding tremendous top end, high level? talent be it in free agency well, or the draft or both okay so hold on so uh I'm, i have your answer and i think your answer is the same however uh i want to say first that we made up a, a top five positions of need we're not going to do like 14 positions of need we're going to do the top five we've got a couple extras as a bonus at the end but each one of us made a list independent of each other we i don't know keith's list he doesn't know mine we're coming into the show without knowing what we're going to talk about or anything like that so uh with that said to answer your question what's the absolute top need that the cx are going to throw as many resources as they can at it's edge rusher my yeah, number one need. Absolutely. Yep, that's the same thing. I mean, uh, this is a team that only had 28 sacks um, on the year, which is not good. Uh, they struggled to get to the quarterback most games all season long. I mean, it was really just not unpleasant uh, to watch. And on top of that, you've got uh, Clowney, who is a free agent. So just re-signing him to get back to the mediocrity that you had last year is going to require a lot of money. Um, And so if, if you spend all the money to get back to there, you need to spend even more to actually turn what was this massive weakness into a strength. Uh, So I expect them to re-sign a, a, a re-sign him as a big name, bring in another good player, maybe a Vic Beasley, um, out of Atlanta, and then uh, also use a high draft pick, maybe even their first pick over like the first round pick or their first pick in the second round because they traded back. Um, all of those things on a pass rush. Yeah, I completely agree. In fact, I wrote that out in, in Twitter as a response to somebody. Somebody was like, do you think we, you know, asking uh, Joe Fan a question, uh, do you think we need to double dip at the position this year? And I, I responded, we need to triple dip. Um, and I said, we need to re-sign Clowney. We need to, we need to, to get an edge rusher in free agency, a top-tier guy, not just a, a low-level, you know, rotation guy, a top-tier guy to replace Ansa, and then to go out and get one in the draft as well in the first uh, three picks. We've got uh, three picks in the first two rounds. Let's throw one of those picks at that position as well. Um, just really come at this thing with everything we've got to make sure that in 2020 this is not an issue. 
that we go in and fully address this position. Um, you know, on drives uh, where the Seattle defense had a sack, we had 28 sacks. On those drives, Seattle didn't give up a touchdown. You know, we talked uh, last week about turning around that key stat of, um, of scoring. Uh, the Seahawks were giving up way too many points. The offense was scoring just fine, but the defense was allowing too many points. And that point differential was, was a key stat. And we need to, to, we need to recalculate that stat in our favor. And this is the surest way to do it is get to the quarterback, create pressure. Um, so let me ask you this. Have you thought at all about how Seattle might approach this? Um, given that Clowney is going to be really expensive. I mean, we're talking $20 million at a minimum. You know, they could they could work that deal so that the cap hit in the first year isn't quite that, but it's still going to be really expensive. Is there any chance that Seattle looks at that and says, you know what, we might be better off. We've got a couple of young guys that play that position on the team. Recent draft picks, Rasheem Green and LJ Collier. Uh, we could bring in a veteran free agent that was not nearly as expensive to shore up that position, really go out and attack the edge rusher side of the ball and get the premier edge rusher out there in the open market and do the same thing in free agency. How do you think they'll approach this? Well, what I would say is um, I, I do expect them to make a play on Clowney. I expect them to, you know, kind of slow play it a little bit because, um, you know, I mean, the market's going to be what the market's going to be, and we'll let that figure out. But they're not going to um, bid against themselves early on. They're going to try and figure. So you this don't out see smartly. an extension happening before free agency begins. Yeah, I don't see. Uh, I mean, it might, but I if but it'll be right up against the deadline. Yeah, uh, right up against the start of it because he's going to want a chance to make sure that he he's getting market value. And so let's figure out what that market is. Well, and he'll have a couple year. days to do that in that that non-tampering yeah. period, that two-day period where uh their agents can go out and talk to other teams and they at least yeah. can establish value. So the I mean and that's what 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 I think we're waiting on uh with that is you're going to let let the market establish what it's going to be. Clowney loved playing in Seattle. He liked playing for Pete Carroll. He liked the defense. He liked the city. He liked uh, the team, the locker room, the culture. He really enjoyed Seattle. Um, and I think coming into a situation where he was leaving another team and he's coming in and he doesn't really know like all of that stuff, and it's right up against the start of the season and all of that, and then how much he enjoyed it and just really liked everything around it. There's a possibility that he will, you know, actively pursue an extension with Seattle rather, rather than uh, seeking, uh, you know, the biggest money on the market. And if that's the case, if, if the Seahawks are, are looking at the, this and they're going, you know, this, de- this deal is instead of asking for 21, which is what Frank Clark got, you know, he's asking for 18. Maybe we do that. And we just get it done now. Uh, I still think I that know. he gets around 20, but I do think that he will be willing to work with them on a, you know, kind of a backloaded situation. Uh, but, you know, there's a couple of things that work in Seattle's favor in this sort of situation. Uh, Clowney's come out and said that he wants to play for a contender, Super Bowl contender. Seattle mm-hmm. is that. 
the second thing he's come out and said is he wants to be able to continue to play in a 4-3 defense. So that right there, those two things that he has indicated really narrow the field of, of other contenders out there for his services. You know, you've eliminated half the, the, the league uh, that plays the 3-4 defense, and then you've eliminated uh, nearly two-thirds of, of the remaining teams that aren't yet Super Bowl contenders. So for me, Seattle's in a pretty good position here. But do we have a backup plan, Keith? Like, it seems like we're going all in on Clowney. What if that falls through? What's our backup plan? Or if we do get Clowney, you still have to pair Clowney with with other players uh, to address this position. Do you have Do you have a plan or an idea of how you might do that, or do you have some uh, some players? I've got a list of a few players that I would think might be okay, you know okay to to try to pair with him or bring in. What do you think? See, I I think this is actually not a bad year to need. Um what the Seahawks need on, on the defensive line, because you've got Clowney on the market that I think is, will be willing to work with Seattle on a deal um, and to, to make it more team friendly. But you've also got guys like uh, Dante Fowler out there. Who's going to command big money, but is worth it. Um, you've got Vic Beasley, who's going to be uh, a pass rusher, but also probably uh, a guy that can do the Bruce Irvin thing and play the strong side linebacker uh in the base defense and then move up to defensive end and in the nickel type of situation. Um and having that also as an option, um, you know, basically to look at, at finding pass rush in other ways. Uh the combined effect of, of those kind of things is there's there are names and big names, impact player names that are on the market. Yeah. Um and the the Falcons have already said basically they've come out and and, and openly said that they're not going to pursue a deal with Beasley. And it was a little weird for them to do that. But I think what it has to do is they're like, okay, so we're, we're just going to commit to it. We're going to let it not be known. And by doing that, we're basically telling other teams, go ahead and, and, uh, you know, talk to them. Why do you think that, uh, why do you think that Atlanta is giving up on Vic Beasley? I don't know if they're giving up on him so much as they recognize that with what they want to do defensively within their pass rush scheme, he wasn't a great. Uh, don't don't they run fit. the same scheme as Seattle? It's a little. I mean, it is, but it's also a little different. I mean, every team, like all the teams that run the Seattle scheme, do it a little differently. And you know, they wanted him to be um, Chris Clements and to be up on the line of scrimmage in the you know, that wide nine position and rush the passer and set the edge and do the things as a defensive end. And I think Seattle's a little more flexible in what they can do because they've shown that guys like that can be used on the yeah. other side of the line at strong side linebacker. Um, yes. Guys like Bruce Irvin and, and Barcavius Mingo and, um, you know, different guys that. So, th- uh, yeah, there's three guys out there that I like that are similar to Vic Beasley like that. Shaq Barrett from Tampa. Absolutely. Uh, out, the outside linebacker type played. It's currently in a 3-4 situation. Um, Bud Dupree uh, over at Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yannick. I can't pronounce his last name. N- Don't even try. Nagak Koei or something like that. Anyway, he's an undersized guy, like 6'2", 246. It's really in that Chris 
Clemens type mold, but he's got 37 and a half sacks in four seasons. I mean, mm-hmm. who wouldn't want a guy like that? A guy, uh, and I'll just bring this name up. And I, I really liked watching him play when we faced them earlier in the season uh, with the Ravens. A guy to watch that in an interesting sort of situation um, is Matthew Judon. And he's 27 years old. He had nine and a half sacks this year, but he plays. He's kind of like a five tech guy. He, play, he can play on the outside. They can move him on the inside. Um, Adam Schefter says that the the Ravens will likely tag him, but then will look to trade him after the tag, similar to the Clark situation. And I actually honestly look for Seattle to be a player in that sort of a situation because he would be a well, perfect yeah, can, fit for the Seattle, Seattle Seahawks. With the Seahawks having three picks in the top two rounds, if exactly. they can... If they can get a player like that, they can get a sure on, thing with one of those three picks. Um, I mean, that's a good get, and uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna get the sure thing in the draft uh, with all of their picks coming at, from 27 or later. Uh, and so, to be able to get that and to know that you've got that piece, uh, I could see them. I could definitely, if, if, as long as. You know they're willing to take a, a second round pick. Yeah. Well, um, what I wrote in my notes was, <clears throat> I said, uh, look for the team to trade one of their three high draft picks, one twenty seven or two, or one of the second rounders, for a ready made talent at a key position of need. And so it could be mm-hmm. it could be the edge rusher that we're talking about. I also wrote down Howard at tight end. I wrote down uh, Stefan Diggs, uh, the mini wide receiver, uh, who's expressed that he's unhappy and he's got a really decent connection with Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's gone out and publicly said, hey, I would like some more weapons. Um, so possibly, you know, I, I wrote down Von Miller, too, the edge at, uh, you know, with the Broncos. Uh, he's got mm-hmm. one year left on his deal. Maybe something like that could be out there. So I, I do look for Seattle to be really aggressive this year. It's not it's one of those years where we've got all this money. We've got all these draft picks. And the window's wide open. And with the history that John Schneider has in making some really decent trades, um, you know, like last year, we got Clowney and Diggs. I mean, that was a great trading year f- for uh, John Schneider. I, I see them doing the same thing this year. I really do. So we'll see. So anything else on the edge position at the top? You want to go to number two? Yeah, let's move on, because uh, I think we covered that one in, in pretty good detail. But uh, I, I will say this, uh, you when you were set, talking about them triple dipping on a single position, um, I would agree. They're going to they're gonna pick up a big name, whether it be Clowney or someone else. They're going to throw some money at it in free agency on top of that, and they're going to use a top draft pick. Now, if that top draft pick is a trade for a, a top guy, okay. But they are going to throw a lot of resources. Well, and and let's just clarify just really quick, too. We're talking about actually two separate positions here. Clowney plays a base edge or base defensive end in a Mm 4-3. So so he's more of kind of that setting the edge guy. He does rush the passer. We also have two other high draft picks already at that position as well in Collier and Green. So that – if we got Clowney, that position would be solved. So when we talk about throwing more resources at the defensive end position, we're talking about the other side, the edge rusher specifically. Right? Yeah, the, I mean, uh, right? Isn't that the way most, you see mostly, it as well? 
mostly because you've got um, Rasheem Green who came on this year and showed uh, a lot of a, a lot of the uh, a lot of the talent that we had. We were excited when he was drafted that he didn't show as a rookie. He came on and and really flashed some of that that potential. And so for him to be backing up Clowney uh, on that side, you're you'd be set. Right. Uh, and then you've got Collier, who you're hoping makes that same kind of leap between your one and your two that Green Green did, you know, as kind of the third string guy, um, you know, the depth, the rotation, all of that. And so now you look at the other side where last year it was Ansa and he was not good. Um, and the year before that, it was nobody. And the year before, I mean, it was Jacob Martin at the end of the year. But really, I mean, that he's a 225 pound guy or 200. Yeah. And um, right. so right. he's, he wasn't, he was never a, a, you know, more than a, a few play a game guy. And then this year, so they thought they had Ansa before that it was Cliff, Cliff Averill who manned that position extremely well. And before the, before Averill, it was Chris Clemens who manned that position really well. Um, and so they're looking for that guy, that speed rusher, the edge guy, the guy coming off the edge um, who starts wide. Uh, whether it be in the seven or the nine, and really just coming in. And they don't really have that guy on the roster other than uh, Shaquem Griffin. Right. Uh, not Quill Griffin, but Keem Griffin, um, who is super undersized like Jacob Martin was. And you're looking at him getting, you know, 14, 15 snaps a game at the max. Uh, you need a guy that can go put his hand on the ground and rush the passer the way Cliff Averill used to. And that's the guy that we're talking about. That's the yeah, Vic Beasley. Team speed. Yep. That's the Vic Beasley or the um, Dante Fowler group. Uh, someone who can come in and just get after the quarterback uh, from that side. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Keith. Uh, I, I got to announce the last one. Let's uh, hear your position of need. Uh, number two overall. Uh, I just said in general. Offensive line. You cheated. <laughs> I, a little bit. Um, because to me, it, it, uh, it's all related. Because, yeah. okay, so you look at this. Uh, Lupati, the starting left guard, is a free agent. Um, Effetti, the right tackle, um, is a free agent. Fluker is in the final year of his deal. Um, he's not getting any younger. Britt's in the final year of his deal. He is no, I mean, he's coming off a, a season in, a really bad season in, ending injury. And he was never good enough to justify his huge cap number for next year. And then you've got uh, Brown out of the left tackle who is not getting any younger and is like last year, just he was hurt for almost the entire year. Uh, and when he did play, he was ineffective, mostly because of the injuries that he had. I mean, the talent's still there, but, um, you know, there's a lot that needs to go on. And so does the team, all of these decisions that they make will be interconnected because you cannot go, okay, well, if Eddie is bad, so let's let's jettison him and Brown's injury prone. So let's jettison him. and. You know, we can't justify Britt's cap number, so let's jettison him. Well, that leaves Fluker as the only guy coming back, and he's, um, you know, old and on a last year of his deal and all of that. Um, on top of all of those problems is also that George Fant, the sixth offensive lineman who played tight end a lot and was the left tackle the last few games when Brown couldn't go, um, 
is also a free agent, and Jamarco Jones, who played left tackle for one game and did poorly, but played really well at guard, is lost. You know, is lost to a season-ending injury. Um, you know, and and our current left tackle, Dwayne Brown, is getting older. Yeah, and, and I, I did throw that in there. And on top of that, um, another guy that would be a swing interior guy, um, and Ethan Postick is coming off you know, major injuries. He had two of them. He landed on IR, came out, played for a couple of games, went back on IR again. Um, and you and know, the coach is preaching continuity. So I'm wondering yeah. where he's going to get that. So this, the offensive line, all of these pieces are all related because you're looking at that continuity issue and you go, okay, we cannot fix every one of these positions at once. So what if we we're going to keep Fluker because that's just a done deal. Um, he's on under contract for one year. It's only three and a half million easy. Yes, we would like to, um, get younger there, but you know what? We can't fix all of them at once. So let's go ahead and leave him. Let's go ahead and leave Dwayne Brown because if he can get healthy over, you know, the off season and get himself right, he's still on, uh, a pro bowl level, uh, tackle. Or at least, or at least top 10. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so we're like, okay, there's that. That's still three. Is there's that's only two out of five positions. You've still got and your key backup in George Fant, who's also out. Um, so they still have. Even if they make that those two choices, they still have a lot of work left to do. Um, so I, I put them all together. Yeah, I well, I'll tell you that that center and left guard were in my top seven because I made my list a little longer than you did. So they were my seventh and sixth respectively. Um, but I, I put right tackle as the number two overall need only because, uh, the team needs to figure out Jermaine or Fetty. Uh, th- that is absolutely known. Uh, Jermaine's a free agent. Uh, the team elected not to, to, uh, carry his fifth year option, uh, last year, which was, which was smart. Yes. I'll be honest. I absolutely. I agree. Now there's, there's no way he's ever going to be worth, uh, that, co- that, um, cap number. Well, that's 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 exactly right. They weren't going to pay him that fifth year option price tag, and so uh, the team though doesn't necessarily mean they're they're moving on. It just means that uh, Jermaine Fetty is hitting free agency now. Uh, out of all the free agency lists that I've looked at, as far as right tackles available, his his name is pretty low on most of those lists. He's not looked at in the league as being a top. 10 or even a top 15 right tackle in the league, maybe even top he's 20. Not. Right. He, he's not. Um, the la- In every year that he's been in the league, he has been in the bottom five of That's right. uh, qualifying uh, right tackles. Um, That's exactly right, Keith. And so uh, the, the in order, the, and the team has preached continuity, and I would think that they would might want to bring him back on a one-year deal if it's possible. And that would mean that no team is out there that wants to pay uh, Jermaine Fetty what he wants to make or give him a, a longer-term contract so Jermaine would come back maybe on a one-year deal. That is what I'm thinking currently as how they kind of handle that situation. But if that mm-hmm. doesn't happen, uh, the team could go out and try to upgrade that position. They've got the draft capital to do it. They've got the resources and free agency to do it. Um, so I would think that if the team is ready to move on from Jermaine Fetty, they do have some options out there. Um, and that's just that one position you talked about center as well. Uh, the team has obviously upgrade, uh, potential there. 
Um, and then left guard. We might have a left guard in-house in either Haynes or Jamarco Jones. But if the yep. team doesn't feel like they do, they do have options out there. Um, now, obviously, they can't throw money at everything. And that's why we kind of created this list, Positions of Need. Where are they going to throw all the resources at? Um, so you do have to kind of draw the line at some point. Uh, but for me, that's why I put right tackle instead of the entire offensive line, because I thought that would be the one spot that I could see them throwing dollars at because right tackle is more of a premium position than left guard or center. That's all. Yeah. The problem, the, the reason here's the, one of the struggles that I had when I was starting to look at free agent lists is I don't see a big time player at right tackle that I'm willing to go spend a bunch of money on in free agency. And Jack Jack Conklin's the the one name out there from Tennessee is a premium run blocker out there, but he has some knee concerns. So he you does. throw a bunch of money at a guy that has an injury history. I don't know. I mean, look at Jermaine Effetti, dude. Jermaine Effetti played every snap this year at right tackle. Yeah. That, I mean, there's something to be said about being productive and being able to be uh, available. Mm-hmm. So um, if you read uh, Seahawk Maven, uh, Corbin Smith is. He's much higher on Jermaine Effetti than I think anybody um, I've ever seen. Um, but he, one of the things, his point is that he has been durable. He's only missed a couple of games in his entire career, and that has value. And he's right. It does have value. Personally, um, being consistent and being out there and available is nice, but being good is also better than that. And he's not good. Um, and so I'm not going to throw money at, at a Fetty. I don't think the Seahawks are going to throw money at a Fetty, which is why they declined his option. And so the people who think that a is going to get paid are all looking at numbers which are higher than his fifth year option would have been. Um, and they're like, oh yeah, he's, some team is going to throw money at him. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. Because if, if, if his value is above what that fifth year option would have been, the Seahawks would have. Uh, picked up the option and they chose not to. They chose to let him become a free agent. Uh, and I think we're, you're looking at a guy that's going to get four or five million dollars a year. Um, compare a Fetty to Fluker as far as quality. Fluker gets hurt a little bit more. Um, you know, he's had, had some injury issues, but as far as quality, Fluker is the better player. He was a better right tackle when he was a right tackle. He's moved inside to guard. He's a better right guard than uh, than Effetti has been at either position. He is a better player, and he's making three and a half million dollars a year. If you're if you're asking for more than than five for Effetti, you're overpaying it. There's not many he's starting right tackles that. in the NFL that are making five million dollars a year, Keith. Let's just be real. Let's be real. That would put him now. Granted, you you've made the the case that he's a bottom five. Right tackle in the league, I get that. He is. But that would squarely put him as being paid bottom five right tackle money in the NFL in a free agency year. He would be signing a new contract, first round pick, Jermaine Effetti, only 26 years old or whatever he is. Um, that's why some people say somebody's going to throw some money at him because there's and still some potentials there. There could be a scheme situation. There could be a coaching situation. You just never know. I don't know. I mean, I all I, I can see is what's on the field, and it's poor. It, it has been. But there are also some things there that you you like. It, you know, 
it's not like he's terrible on every play. If you get some more consistency out of him over a long period of time, and I don't know what that is. Maybe it's not a right tackle. Maybe it's moving him inside. Uh, that's Honestly, unlikely with the he, Seahawks, but you never know. It's un, it's unlikely with the Seahawks. If another team views him as a starting right guard and they're willing to be a little bit patient in his first year uh, for him to make that adjustment, he athletically, his profile, fits as a guard. He needs to learn how to talk with the center and the guard and the tackle a little better and communicate um, so that way he can pick up stunts more often because that was the problem that he had when he played guard as a rookie and it's was a, been a problem his entire time at tackle too. But if he can figure that part out, there is a lot to like about a Fetty as a guard. I don't think that's going to happen in Seattle and a team may pay him middle of the road guard money, which is you know, six million a year. Um, so your conundrum, and, your conundrum in general, though, is is right in that when you take a look at the right tackle list out there in free agency, there's not a lot of good options, and that's why I think maybe a, Jermaine comes back on a one year deal. Uh, mm-hmm. I I put it at like sixty five seventy percent. I know people don't aren't going to like that. They want to move on from Effetti and whatnot, but this might not be the year to do it. That's all I'm saying. Well, when you have three picks in the first and second round. So that's three picks in the top 65. Um, You have an opportunity to go get a rookie right tackle who's going to be better than a Fetty. Um, It's going to cost a lot less than a Fetty will. Um, I think you have to do it. You have to take a chance and go out there and find a player that can be both an upgrade and a cost savings rather than go spend a bunch of money on a guy you know is bad. Interesting. Cool. All right. So let's move away from the offensive line and let's go to our third ranked position of need position. So what do you got? Nope, your turn. I, I right. did the last one. You All did right. the first one. I did the last one. It's your turn. Okay. Um, I went back to the defense, and I stayed on mm-hmm. the defensive line. And I specifically narrowed it down to a three-tech defensive tackle. That is my third-ranked position of need. And the reason for that for me was that Jerron Reed is a free agent, and Jerron Reed has expressed his desire to get paid uh, pretty decently this year. And I'm not sure Seattle looks at him that way and wants to make that investment. Uh, the team may in fact move on from Jaron Reed. And if they do, this becomes a very major need for the defensive line, considering the defensive line was bad to begin with. Jaron Reed wasn't, I mean, he was kind of part of the problem this year. We talked about he that previously. He but wasn't he, good this year. But he was great he still a year has ago. The tackle, he still has that ability I think if you surround him with better talent, like we're talking about, I think he becomes a better player. So to me, I would love to keep him. I just don't know what it's going to take from a financial standpoint. And the team could possibly be ready to move on from Jaron Reed. And if they do, they've got to they've got to have some some names in mind. Um, the big premier guy out there is Chris Jones from the from the Chiefs, um, mm-hmm. but it's likely that the Chiefs tie him up. Um, they should. They they should tie tie him up. That would be a a, a terrible mistake by them to let him walk. Um, great player. If, if if he if he if the Chiefs are stupid and let him walk, uh, dude. If you're Seattle, 
Uh, John Snyder, I, is, I doubt he's listening, but if he is, please go sign him. Yeah, he no, would, Chris Jones uh, would be a, he would, a disruptor. He would greatly upgrade that defensive line. He has um, 27 I, and a half sacks in the last 33 games. Yeah. That's what um, we're talking about with Chris, Chris Jones. So I did not have three tech at this high. Um, it, he, the, it is in my top five, but it wasn't here at three. But I'll, let's go ahead and address it here because I think you're right as far as um, they need to. The reason why I didn't have it in, in this spot was because I look at what the Seahawks used to do at three tech with um, guys like Tony McDaniel and. Um, yeah. Journey, uh, you know, journeyman the, guys come in for one or two years and plug that hole for a while. Yeah, they haven't. They haven't really. They haven't really spent resources on the position because they will use the journeyman guys um, as you know in the base defense, and then they would move Michael Bennett over to the three tech in the nickel, and he yes. would rush the passer from yes. the inside when yes. you need a disruptor. Now they drafted L.J. Collier to be that guy, and they used. Rasheem Green last year in that role, kind of as that guy who can move inside. Well, and, and when they drafted things. when they drafted Reed from Alabama in the second round, he, at that time he wasn't a pass rush kind of specialist Mm-mm. guy. They thought he could move the pocket a little bit, but he was more of a run stuffer in college. He was a nose tackle. Right. He was absolutely a nose tackle. And so and to have him come out nose get, tackle its first two years. So for having him come out and get the ten and a half sacks, really surprised last year. He fell back down to earth this this last year, but you know he does have that ability in him somewhere. You know, either the Seahawks or another team willing to give him a chance would love mm-hmm. to draw that out from him. Um, yeah, you're, that's that's an interesting take. I totally get that. I mean, that makes sense to me. I you know it's hard when you had a defense the defensive line that was poor overall when you're losing a talent like reed even though he had a maybe a down year um suspended the first six games never really got back into it um you kind of want to just stay at least equal or better right and yeah and that's the way i was looking at it yeah so so that's why i didn't have them at that position at three which you do um i had, had it at five but it was still made my top five Right. Um, I just thought it was a little lower on the list because of the fact that the team has a history of not throwing money at the position, but to bring in a guy that other people maybe have never heard of, um, but have, you know, some athleticism and get the job done uh, in the base defense. And then they move in a guy like Collier or Green to, uh, inside. Uh, on passing downs and they just kind of make it work that way. If they were going to throw money at it, I've got one more name. Uh, Javon Hargrove out of Pittsburgh, 26, oh, 26 years old. That would uh, be that. That would be that would be an upgrade over. He's Reed. got. I'm he's sorry, got that's, ten that's and a half player. Ten and a half sacks in the past two seasons. Um, so mm-hmm. he's he's not amazing at getting at the quarterback, but he's really good at it, and he's he plays the run as just as well. A guy like that, young guy. I don't know that mm-hmm. Pittsburgh would let him leave right on purpose. But, if they have a choice, they won't. But we'll see right, if they actually yeah. have a choice. That would right. be a huge get. I actually, um, a year ago, I'm not sure I would have considered that an upgrade because Reed was coming off um, a ten and a half sack season, um, and he had yet to have been suspended. Um, but right now, I would consider that an upgrade because you're talking about a guy who could play a lot of snaps, 
get after the quarterback or at least create disruption, push the pocket a little bit and let the defensive ends do better. Um, but also is no slouch against the run. That would be a nice get at three tech um, to really help this, uh, this defense. I, I, I would like that. I think he's going to cost more than Reed though. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we're talking probably 10 to $12 million a year. Uh, but that's if they decide to throw money at it. And that's what this show's about. Like, where are they going to throw resources? That's if, if I'm going to be put that three tech defensive tackle in number three in my, my list, I'm counting on them to throw a little bit of money at it. And so that guy's, you know, on my watch list, unlikely, but on my watch list. Um, yeah. okay. So what did you have in the three position Keith? My, my position, my, my number three spot was cornerback. Um, the Seahawks wow. have. Have Griffin. They love him. He he played great. They've got Flowers on the other side who had a very good rookie year but was down this year. And they've got Amadi who may be the nickel in the long term. So did you combine nickel they, and they outside get, corner in this list? I did. I just okay. said cornerback. Because I had I had um, corner I had nickel corner at four. I'll be honest. I I'll, I'll spoil it for me. I had nickel corner at four, but I had outside corner all the way down at number eight for me. Yeah. Just because I that, thought for sure they wouldn't I give up on flowers them. yet. Well, I'm not talking about giving up on flowers, but you've got who's the number three outside corner on the team? Well, that would be yeah. a free agent in a in a Kim King. Who's the number four outside corner on the team? Well, that would be a special teams only guy Nico um, Thorpe, right. in in Nico Thorpe, who I think is also a free agent. So um, they need to go find another outside corner. Now they don't have to throw a high draft pick at it they can go and they can wait a little bit and use a third rounder or a fourth rounder um and try and do what they did with griffin um or richard sherman who was a fifth rounder um uh, and because they they have their starters their two starters are there they're in place they're set great so you can go a little lower but you have to find a guy capable of developing into a starter uh, no matter what because you have to have that third guy and you have to have someone who can be the future if Flowers doesn't rebound after well, a bad year. And, and quite frankly, you're going to combine the corner positions, the, the nickel corner for me, and now I put it at number four and I put outside mm-hmm. corner at, at eight. And the reason I put at four is uh, Amadi went the entire year until game seven, uh, week 17 before the team started him at the nickel. Um, which tells me everything I need to know about how they value the players on their current roster. Uh, they weren't, they didn't trust him. They didn't want to put him out there for whatever reason. Uh, they liked Jamar Taylor early in the year. We didn't know why there's a reason. So something's going on there. Uh, they need to solve that problem because, uh, you got to play, you got to have a nickel, you got to have a competent nickel corner on your defense and Pete Carroll's defense. You know, they were forced I don't know. This was a, a decision uh, just because in the offseason they said, hey, let's run 4-3 like 65% of the time and call it good because we love our linebackers. I think they did that to mask their their their, their defense, their personnel, uh, the lack of talent. Um, and uh, I would be nice to have a, a Coleman back there again. You know, it would just tighten up that thing, make it a little more difficult for receivers over the middle uh, on the on the short outside edge. Um, I yeah, nickel for me. That and Justin Coleman is why I put this at three, because the Seahawks decided not to spend 
what they need to do to keep him. Um, I mean, you're talking That's about true. A, a slot corner. They're supposed yeah, to but he was going to make that. number one in the in the NFL slot corner money. That's to me, Seattle. I don't know if that's a fit in team defense philosophy for Pete. True. And, but it's what I mean. Like I wasn't like, I I doesn't mean they don't want talent at the position though. I was okay with, with having him uh, go because of the money he was going to make. But what happened, what happened was ultimately what that, what it showed was that he was not just a replaceable guy. He was really, really good at what he did. And, the days of just running someone out there, be it Therald Simon or Jeremy Lane or whatever, um, those days may be over. And you need to go commit some uh, resources to that third cornerback spot because you're going to need them. Um, now, I still think that uh, Griffin, Quill Griffin, has the potential to be an elite slot corner um, because he has a change of direction ability into those things. And everyone's going to go, but that's worth less than the, than the guy that plays on the outside. True. It is. It's a harder position to play, but it is worth. He less. went to the pro bowl as an outside corner in the NFL. Keith, I don't think he's moving. No, here's what you do. What if he plays, he's a starter. He plays every single snap in the defense when you're in a two deep, when you have only two corners out there, he's over there on the left side. But when you have, um, when you bring in that third corner, he slides in yeah. to the side. As long as you, I mean, whatever talent you have, so you, you use for sure. So if you've got three outstanding outside corners on your team, yeah, you can do that. Especially if you don't feel comfortable with your normal nickel guy. Um, mm-hmm. You could slide Griffin over there. That makes a lot of sense. But, you know, we didn't have – we were lacking two corners this year, and the defense played like it. Um, yeah. I think – you know, now I'm not discounting Amadi. Amadi, to me, has always been a, a really good talent. I loved him at the University of Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. He's a very versatile kind of guy. And so I look for him to compete for that starting nickel corner spot this year still. Um, yeah. And I think Pete probably expects that as well. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. So that long, that could be solved term. as far as the team though thinks in their you know as they approach free agency and so forth. They they might be thinking that that is actually solved and we don't have to go out and address that. And they might throw a, a lower end uh, draft pick at that spot just to have some competition there and you know backup guy. But and that, that, and that outside combined... corner spot though is probably the most important spot. That's why I combine the two because you've got a guy like Griffin who could slide inside. Like I said, he's going to be the starter. He's going to play every single defensive snap, but he plays on the outside in the base and he plays on the inside in um, the nickel. That's a possibility. Or you have a Mahdi who comes in and plays in the nickel and you leave Griffin out there where he, you know, at where he's a pro bowler. Um, but you, you have no depth. There's nothing behind that. You've got Flowers, who's an unknown. You've got Amadi, who's kind of an unknown. Um, and you've got literal, literally nothing else nothing at the right now. currently on the roster. Now, um, King might be re-signed. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Um, but you have literally nothing else on the roster. So to have them go and not address that, whether it be an outside corner with the idea of, Griffin being the backup nickel, um, 
and the starter on the outside, or whether it be just to go get a nickel, or whether it to be an out uh, an outside guy with that would push Flowers for the potential, you know, as a possible uh, eventual starter. Um, they they've got to go get. There's a talk in Dallas of them uh, not being able to retain Byron Jones, so that might be an uh, interesting yes. thing because Chris Richard was his coach. Yep. And so this he's got is a that kick that, step down already. Yep, this is a guy that can um, play on the outside, and he can play free safety and tackle. Yes, he can. Um, two, two things the Seahawks uh, want to see their cornerbacks be able to do, and Jones, is at, as far as athleticism, is unprecedented at that position. Um, yeah, he doesn't, he's, not, very, he's not a ball hawk. I mean, he's not going to give you a lot of interceptions. In fact, he no. doesn't have any in the last couple of years, but... Yep. He's definitely a player. He's a playmaker. He can also. He's a very good tackler too, which Pete Carroll mm-hmm. has to have out of his corners. Yep. Okay. So, so that that is that is a good option. So, anyways, that was that was my my number three position. All right. So, so do you have your number four then that that hasn't um, been revealed yet, or did you we cover that already? I can't remember. No, my number four has not been revealed yet, and I I thought about this one. Because the team has players there, good players, popular players, under contract. But I still think they've got to go and address some of the linebacker speed um, Interesting. in this offseason. Um, wow. And I had a feeling of, of, of all of the positions that you were that I, that I was going to list in my top five, this was yeah. the one that I figured you would debate the most was uh, because, yeah, you know, K, KJ Wright is in I the get last it, year though. of his his deal and he's clearly not as fast as he used to be. He's yeah. got the knee problems that he's had. Um, you know, Bobby Wagner used to be an absolutely elite speed guy at middle linebacker. He's not anymore. He's still an elite middle linebacker. He's still a pro bowler, uh, possibly all pro great lead, lead than tackles, but he doesn't have the speed. He is to. um, Cody Barton is a nice backup for all those positions and maybe the future at weak side linebacker or at middle linebacker. Um, but where's the strong side guy? I mean, they, they played Barton out of position there when Kendricks was hurt. Kendricks was bad when he was in there. I was very disappointed in, in, Kendricks in is unlikely to come side. back and it has nothing to do with his sentencing. It's, it's the fact that he was okay and uh, he's a free agent, and he was injured, and the team is likely to move yeah. on. That's just the way that yeah. is. And then the other two so guys, I look, uh, Griffin and, and Burke Urban, are completely undersized and mostly special undersized. teams guys. So you've mm-hmm. really got you've got three guys there at the in the linebacker room, and you really need five guys. Exactly. So, we, so that means that and we need, they need two a- resources added to this group. And one of the resources that I would like to see added to this group would be a starter. Really? Sam, the, the strong side linebacker. Um, what not do you do with Cody Barton? Do you, do uh, you, you cut retur- KJ Wright or do you restructure or what? I mean, what's going on there? I You look into that uh, possibility of, uh, of restructuring KJ Wright. Um, and if, if Wright's not willing to restructure, maybe you move on and, and, and play Barton there. Um, but I think you go after a guy, and I mentioned him earlier as, as part of the pass rushing uh, issue, a guy like Vic Beasley, because he fits um, what the Seahawks did with Bruce Irvin, an undersized speed rush defensive end who just doesn't quite have the dominance 
you move him off the line of scrimmage as a Sam linebacker where he's setting the edge against the run. He's rushing the passer a lot. You can use his extreme athleticism in coverage occasionally. Um, I think that's a great fit uh, as a starter. And you've got Barton there, who's the key backup at all three positions. Or if you move on from right, he's the starter at weak side uh, linebacker. He's also the backup at middle linebacker if Bobby gets hurt. Um, I think that you have a situation where spending a resource to get a fast, athletic, dominant player who can play that strong side linebacker and move up and rush the passer um, in that what we still are looking for in the Bruce Irvin role is a possibility, and I put them there in that position. It's interesting. It's interesting. Um and the, and and I'll be honest with you, I had uh, and I listed out all the position groups. You, you didn't quite go that far, but I kind of put them out in order just so I could organize it in my brain mostly. And I had them at uh, number eleven, either strong side or weak side linebacker, the middle linebacker. I left alone, obviously. Um, yeah. So I ranked that eleventh on good. the team as far as need and and how they would throw resources at it, and and. My reasoning is that um, I honestly think that K.J. Wright played himself back into a job this year, even though his contract is kind of funky. He's got a lot of money there on the table that Seattle could use. Um, And so I look for a little restructure there at a minimum. And then Bobby Wagner is Bobby Wagner. He's going to play until he can't. Um, And then Cody Barton... um, you know, at, before Wagner and Wright were getting a little older, the team really didn't throw a lot of resources to that other spot, that other strong side linebacker spot. We had a lot of journeyman guys come through, a lot of just kind of also ran talent in there. Um, Irvin was the exception, um, but they only moved him back because he, he wasn't successful just purely as an edge guy. Um, then we, But you have Cody Barton there. So for me... I think that the team runs with that trio for now, Wagner, Wright, Barton. Um, and they, they would bring maybe a draft pick in to solidify the back end of that, um, that position group. Um, but that's just me. Now, Vic Beasley would be fine, and I would totally dig that. That would be cool, but I don't know if it's necessary. No, I, I, and I hear you. I, I, I um I, I like I said, I knew this would be one that you wouldn't have that you um, would disagree with. Uh, I just see it as a position of need because you right now the plan is to play Cody Barton there out of position, and I just don't like it. I don't, yeah. I don't like that. I don't like the plan is that you play an undersized guy out of position in that spot. Um, it's only for one to, more year. I mean, he's only he really didn't play too much this year, so you can't even count this year. It's playing him out of position one year until Wright leaves. And and even then he's out of position. I mean, he's more of a middle linebacker kind of guy. In Seattle's scheme, his, he can play weak side linebacker. And I not, agree. There's I not agree. a huge difference between those two. Um, you know, it's, it's the, the strong side linebacker is the weird uh, one out of the trio of linebackers. And that's what they're asking him. To, that's what they've been asking so him to do play So do you think that Cody Barton is not athletic enough to drop back oh no not at all he's got the athleticism what he's what he's not is big enough um to hold the edge and to be the edge setter on the side uh, yeah but michael kendricks was 
Michael Kendricks was a teeny guy. Michael and Kendricks Michael was Kendricks, six foot and two two thirty five or something like that. And Michael Kendricks was poor at that spot. Michael Kendricks was great at a, at the weak side linebacker that he played when um, KJ Wright was hurt the year before. But when they moved him to strong side linebacker, you know they got very little out of him. Uh, and that's a lot of talent, a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism, a lot of just genuine good linebacker talent. And they got very little out of it because he's not built to be that guy at the strong side. And the same is true for Cody Barton. He's just not built to be a strong side linebacker. He's built to be a middle or weak side linebacker in Seattle's scheme. No, <clears throat> in other schemes that play um, a little more... Um, centered and, and less offset. Um, yeah, he, he would be fine there. But in Seattle's scheme where they're really asking him um, to come up on the line of scrimmage and set the edge like a defensive end against the run, that's not who the, either of those guys is. Um, and I just see it, this to me, to me, it is a position of need. It is something that they have to address. And if they really want to get better at stopping the run, Getting a strong side linebacker who can set that edge properly, that has the size um, and strength to do so, is a huge need for the team. And the way Pete Carroll values stopping the run, I think he's seen enough from Calitro a year ago and Kendricks this year to recognize, okay, we can't just skimp and ignore the position. We need to go get a guy. And I could see them spending money on a I, guy. I think in your scenario too, a guy like Matthew Judon from the the Ravens makes a lot of sense for them as well in that role. He does. He absolutely because he's does. a monster. He plays all over the place. He's so diverse. I he's one of my favorite players in the NFL. Not on the Seahawks. Um, I would love to see him in a Seahawks uniform. Okay, we are we have made it to the number five spot, Keith. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's the last spot in our position group of need, but but maybe not the least. Um, I'll let you go. Where does have at well? It. We are we've already got mine. So where's yours? Oh, you've already got yours. What was yours again? Remind me the the your fifth. Um, it was uh, three tech three tech defensive. Okay, so my fifth. I went back to the offensive side of the ball, and, and Russell Wilson needs weapons. So he's been talking about weapons. Uh, they've got a guy that's coming in uh, here this week or next week for a visit um, at this position. Uh, that's been around the block a little bit. Um, so it shows the team is is looking at this spot. I think that they the obvious uh, it's it's obvious when you look at the list of players currently on the roster that we need uh, talent infusion and help and and some hedging on some injury situation. My position uh, of need is tight end. Yeah. And, I, and I could um, have gone with wide receiver here. But we've got two outstanding wide receivers at the top of the room um, that we already have uh, under contract. And uh, for me, we need a third wide receiver. But it didn't come up quite to the level of tight end because of the Will Disley situation. Will Disley's coming mm-hmm. off that Achilles. We don't know what we're going to get when he, we get him back. Um, he wasn't terribly athletic to begin with. He's, But he's a, extremely good in space and catching the ball and blocking um, hopefully he can come back to that level. But if he doesn't, or even if he does, we still need uh, other bodies in there. We've got Luke Wilson, who is, is a free agent. A free, 
and then mm-hmm. Tyrone Swoops, a guy that really hasn't even played very much at all in the NFL. And then Jacob Hollister came on, but he's more of a move tight end. He's not an inline blocker. Um, yep. So for me, that was the spot. And the guy I was talking about uh, that's coming in, it was Greg Olson, the old tight end from uh, where? Jacksonville, right? Or, uh, Carolina. Carolina Panthers, sorry. Lost it there for a minute. Um, Greg Olson. So, and I don't even know if Greg Olson still wants to play. I mean, he started out in the, uh, doing some broadcasting stuff last year and then came, they talked him into coming back and then, uh, but he's a free agent again. Uh, what are your thoughts on the tight end spot? And do you agree or disagree with me on that position? I absolutely agree with you, Tim. In fact, when I was putting this together, I was looking at that number five spot and, I had them there, and then I'm like, ah, but the three tech, and I really want, I really expect the team to focus on the defense. And ultimately, it was my first out. It was this is my number six in my top five list. Um, so I totally agree. With you. Now, Will Disley has shown in very few starts between his rookie season and the last one to be a very good player, and that the offense is significantly better when he's in there than when he's not. But he has had two major injuries. In his two years in the league, yeah, he was he what he eight. was in like five games this year. Had twenty three receptions, two hundred sixty two yards, and four TDs. Yeah, that's that, that's great statistically. But he tore his Achilles, which is one of those things that that it does uh, sap um, athleticism out of players when it happens. He's and before that, he had an ACL injury, uh, so he missed most of his rookie year for. So now they're going into year three. We got a guy coming off two major injuries in two years both of which um could end a career do you want him in there yes absolutely do you do you want his talent and his diversity and his ability to do everything at tight end absolutely you do he's has this is a guy with pro bowl talent he has the talent to uh be like a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle uh, as far as how good he could be, but he's got to stay healthy. And at this point he's shown he can't. So, so the team can't count on him and he's literally the only tight end that we have on the roster. Yeah. Other than Hollister who showed that as a move tight end, as a number three guy who can come in and be a pass catcher, but not a blocker. He's great. I I, I absolutely think the, I agree. I think the fans at this point are underestimating Hollister as a playmaker. Um, I'd love to see him. I mean, he'll, he'll be back um, and, and get an opportunity, but you've got, but he's that he's the move tight end. He's not an inline blocker. You've got right now, you've got Disley in that spot and no one else. And Disney is a huge question mark when healthy. He's elite. He's a premier player, but he's played in what is it? Seven games in two years. That's not enough. That's, fright- that's, that's not frightful. Enough. And he's coming off an, an injury that does sap a lot athleticism. They've got to go find a guy. Now, is Greg Olson that guy? I don't think so. I mean, he's, what is he, 72 yeah. years old now? He would um, be a placeholder, and that's it. Um, that, he, would yeah, be a, and he would be a draft hedge, essentially. Exactly. Um, but he's a free agent. He's out there. They're, uh, he, they're allowed to talk to him. So they, they're going to, um, and they're going to see what he, what he's got left in the tank. And, but he's a guy that you bring in on a one year thing and you're like, okay, we, we don't know what we have in Disley. Let's give Disley another year. We're going to bring in Olsen. So we have a starter. Um, if Disley 
is is that that doesn't work out and then we'll know a year from now what we've got in in the disney situation um that said i could totally see the team being like okay um nick vanette they traded away he's gone um luke wilson they brought back but he couldn't stay healthy and even when he was healthy he's not that good um and he's a free agent let's replace that spot Let's go find a guy who's the jack of all trades, master of none, who can come in, be the backup, plug in in a lot of different situations, and go draft that guy in the fourth round or the third you round. Spend spend a reasonable. I would. You I would and I, totally you and think I disagree with this just a little bit. Okay. So I agree that that drafting a tight end is not a bad idea, uh, but for me, the guy that you just described. I put Will Disley in that role now. I, I put Will Disley as I move him away from the pressure of being my premier guy anymore. I put him as my number two tight end, and I have him be my jack of all trades. I lower expectations, and I bring him back as slow as I can, and I go out and get the next premier guy. I give Russell Wilson a weapon, not just a also-ran jack-of-all-trades type weapon, that's not even uh, that's an insult to Russell Wilson. I go and get the best that I can get for Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson deserves the best. Damn it! And I've seen what well Will Disley can do in a Russell Wilson offense in a Schottenheimer offense. If we had a premier t- talented tight end that could stay healthy all the time, that guy could catch uh, sixty seventy uh, passes for close to a thousand yards and mm-hmm. uh, you know seven or eight touchdowns. Let's get Russell Wilson, that guy. We already know it works in the offense. We just need to get him. So go out and get an Austin Hooper. Just go get him. Just pay him whatever the market value is and make sure yeah. he doesn't get away. And all of a sudden, you have a guy that can catch 70, 75 catches, 800 yards, and generate six to eight touchdowns for you every year. Young guy. Yeah. So Hooper it. would be a huge get. I would absolutely buy into spending resources on him. Um, that would be great. And I, I do like the idea. And this is kind of what I'm saying with, with Olsen. Olsen would be a guy who come in. Okay. He's going to be the starter this year while we figure out what Disney, what Disney is. Is he a guy that long, this is a crazy couple of, it's a weird coincidence. It's a fluke that he's had these two injuries, but long-term he's going to be the guy. Um, do we know that? Or is he a guy that we're better off doing what you said, lowering him down, letting him be the number two, taking some of the pressure off? And, you know, we need to figure out which one of those he is. He's a great player. When he's healthy and on the field, he's an elite player. Um, unfortunately, he's only healthy and on the field very rarely. And so we need to figure that part out. And bringing in Greg Olson gives you a guy that you can play as a starter from day one of next year while you figure that out with Disney. I agree. That's I like, like, that's not and, a bad strategy. And it's a, and it's a much less expensive strategy than Austin Hooper would. But if you can go get Ho- Hooper, what happens if you go spend the money on Hooper and Disney turns out to be legit and healthy and that the first two years injuries were a fluke? Then you've oh, got four means, weapons. I mean, you've got Disney and Hooper. Then you've, and you've got Medcalf, and you've got Lockett, and whoever we then add you, as a number three wide receiver. Oh, dude! I mean, then you, the then you've got, amazing. you've got two, t- you've got two different tight ends, and Hollister 
who is a legit receiving threat, though not a blocker, um, you've got you can come up with some all sorts of crazy formations and to me, I do that. Groups. I do that, Keith, because it's such a simple thing, and it's not going to break the bank to do it. Even Hooper wouldn't be breaking the bank. I mean, you pay a guy like that ten million dollars a year at the most to come mm-hmm. in and, and saw and and but what you've done is you've really created some serious mismatches on the offensive yeah. side of the ball and you know then you you bring in a you know your your right tackle or whatever or maybe a new center you solidify that line just a little bit and you and you give Russell Wilson the weapons that he's been wanting and there's no more excuses on offense that thing is that thing is top five, right? Well, so imagine um, this. Imagine imagine you bring in Hooper and you've got Disley in there and you've got Hollister in there and you line up um, in on third and one with all three tight ends. You got your, um, you know, you're your running back in there and Wilson goes back to handoff play action or whether than not play as a defense. You're like, okay, do we, commit to stopping Chris Carson or do we worry about play action because all three of those uh tight ends are elite you know uh receive receiving threats so you worry about is if this is play action we could get beat for a lot of yards or a touchdown um so we have to stay back. We have to resist that urge to crash on third and one. And that just makes Chris Carson's life easier. Or they do crash on Chris Carson. And now you've got, you know, Will Disley wide open down the seam. Um, you have an opportunity to put that out there on the field and use that. You do it. Do it. Go for it. Yeah. Swing for the fences. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I we love, got excited about about something on this show because that's to I, me. I that, love that combination. Yeah, I mean, that, to me, that would be a no brainer, uh, especially mm-hmm. considering the cap money that we have and the cap money that we could also generate if we needed to. In fact, we could let go of Ed Dixon, and it would pay for a third of Austin Hooper's salary. So you know. To me, it's just well, Ed, a no-brainer. Ed Dixon's going to be gone, right? No matter what, right, right, so. right, right. But you know, it's still on. He's still on the books, is what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so that's our top five. We, you've heard from both of us. Uh, I personally have like uh, a few more in order. We could talk about just briefly. Um, you had mentioned you had tight ends as, as your sixth spot. Uh, I broke out the uh, the offensive. I broke out every every position individually. So I had center at number six. Because I mm-hmm. thought for sure the team is either going to ask Justin Britt to restructure that contract or he's going to be let go. Because the team is not going to pay Justin Britt $11 million. Uh, what's his, his salary is uh, $11,666,000 this year. So he's got 2900 in dead money. We'd save $8,750,000 if we were to cut him. Now, we still need a center. So maybe jettisoning jettisoning Justin Britt isn't the right answer, but he's not going to come back and play for that salary. So he's either Shaq Mason is available. That would be great. I think there's about five or six guys I think that could really come in and and hold down the fort for the next you know two or three years. You want to make sure you get a really good guy though, competent guy, guy that uh, Russell Wilson can trust, that the two guards can trust. Um, so that was my number six. My number seven was left guard. 
Um, I, I had that as being important. I knew a potty was not going to come back. That, that is open for business. Um, we, we have a couple of guys that are going to be competing for that spot internally in, in Haynes and Jamarco Jones, but the team may feel like, you know, that they want to solve that left guard spot and solidify that thing, uh, between possibly a new center and an aging, um, Brown over at left tackle that that left guard spot becomes actually pretty important. So we'll see what happens there. So the nice thing about that is if you, let's say you, rather than spending money on a, on a left guard, let's say you draft a guard, right? So you've got, you go into the season with the idea that Jones and Hayes are going to compete for that spot. Um, Jones looked excellent as a guard. Um, mediocre at best at as a tackle, but great as a guard. And then Hayes came in in the playoff game um, after Jones had been hurt. And then, um, you know, they were that far down on the, on the depth chart that this guy that had spent the entire season on the pup came in and actually played in the playoff game and looked good. I mean, what we, what you and I knew, what we talked about all from the beginning is that this is a guy that should compete for a starting job on this team as a rookie because of his talents as a run blocker. And guess what he showed in his only opportunity to play? He showed that he has power. And um, Well, and that's why I I left it off the top five is because I thought, I felt like we probably had the answer internally already. So, so if you, if you're, if you're the Seahawks and you go draft the next Phil Hayes, right? Another guy late in the draft who you think you can, you can see because he's a run blocker more than a pass blocker. He needs like, he needs honing. He needs like skills. He needs coaching before he's ready to start. So he's not a starter right now. You bring that player in and then guess what? They're the right guard a year from now when Fluker leaves. And so you've got Hayes or Jones or both, um, at left guard and you got whoever this mystery rookie is at right guard. You have three players who you trust to be there and you can move on from these aging injury prone, uh, expensive veterans with young talent. Go do it. Like I, I, I honestly think guard is a position that they address. They don't address it early. I don't think they address it with money and free agent. See, but I could see a fifth round pick or a sixth round pick to a guy that they think as a run blocker is special who needs pass blocking coaching. You know, it it is interesting that you mentioned uh, possibly drafting a, a guard. It depends, you know, everything depends on how a draft falls to you, but they could Absolutely. end up in a situation with one of their first three picks where their their guy that they've been looking at as a first round talent or the early second round talent begins to fall a little bit depending on how the draft moves. They take that the earliest uh, second round pick that they have and they use it on a guard and they move uh, depending on how it works out in camp and so forth. They could actually move on from Fluker and save three point six million dollars if they were to uh, cut Fluker. Mm-hmm. So. To me, that's not out of the question, you know? It's not out of the question. I know people will be like, that's crazy, but it's not out of the question because it's just like, you know, wide receiver wasn't a position that the Seahawks were going to address early in the draft last year. But when DK Metcalf kept falling and kept falling and kept falling, at some point they were like, okay, we get it. (laughs) We're going to move up and get him because 
this guy has the potential to be special. Now, he has the potential to bust completely, but he also has the potential to be super special. So they moved back up into the, the last pick of the second round to go get a guy. And guess what? He turned out to be super special, yeah. even though that wasn't the position that they probably were thinking going into the draft that they were going to spend an early round pick on. Right. But they got a they got an elite playmaker because the draft fell in a certain way that they couldn't pass up. So what happens if an elite guard or an elite center keeps falling and keeps falling and keeps falling? And then you go, you know, we hadn't planned on going and getting an interior lineman, you know, midway through round right, two. Right. But how do we say no to a guy that we thought would go top 15? Right. Right. It can happen, and it happens every year. So we'll we'll see. Um, wide receiver, I had uh, next on my list, and I didn't put it up uh, earlier. Even though I think that we need a wide receiver, we could probably mm-hmm. use two wide receivers. Uh, but I I thought that we wouldn't spend money on them in free agency because um, they can can get quite expensive. But you guys, you got guys like out there like uh, Emmanuel Sanders, who had a great year with San Francisco, but he's thirty two. Uh, AJ Green is out there. Uh, Robbie Anderson, kind of a field stretcher type wide receiver out of the Giants. Um, but this is a strong draft class for for wide receiver. And as we get into the the mm-hmm. um, the combine Agreed. and and reviewing uh, film and getting closer to the draft, you'll probably start to hear us talk about the wide receiver class a little bit more. Um, as as and I think they go and they grab some talent there. Uh, to so, stockpile. Yeah, you have. This is a team that has their their number one and number two in Lockett and Metcalf, and and whether they work out in that order or Metcalf and Lockett next year, we'll see. It and it doesn't matter. Um, Lockett also slides into the slot. Well, if you've got another big guy on the outside, whether it's David Moore that they bring back or they draft someone or they bring someone in, um, you know, basically it gives them a lot of options. And so they've got that. You've also got a guy that was. Ex- excruciatingly productive in college and has a really unique skill set in John Ursula, who the team didn't use whatsoever. Yes. But oh, they, I agree. But, but they, 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 they didn't use him at all this last year, but they also refused to get rid of him, even when they were desperate for position, uh, you know, depth at other positions. They held on to him because they knew they've got something. Yeah, they and did so not I can let see him, him go to the practice squad. He stayed on the 53-man roster the entire year. Yep. And Crazy. so they went, they went and went ahead and cut their fourth round pick in Jennings um, twice before they cut Ursula. They never cut Ursula. Um, so I think he's a guy that you can look at as going, okay, maybe he's going to be the three, maybe he's going to be a four. He's kind of a unique player, and he has the potential to be really good. Um, yeah. And uh, they better so start using him, too, because he's already 25 years old. Yeah. And so basically what you're going to get at, if he, they don't use him this next year, then he's probably done. He's not really going to get an opportunity in Seattle. But um, you have, to me, you've got those two guys that are elite guys. You've got Ursula, who's promising and, and fun. You've got Malik Turner, who's, who will be back um, as a guy that is, you know, he, the team really likes him. They like his effort. They like his ability to block downfield. He is basically Jermaine Curse, um, where he's not uber special in any way, but he's a, still just a guy they want to give snaps to. So they've got guys at wide receiver, um, but it's time to find the next guy. 
right? Um, when, you know, they, they had Doug Baldwin, they went and got Tyler, or they went and got uh, uh, Paul Richardson. And then when Paul Richardson got hurt, they went and got Tyler Lockett. And then all of a sudden you had all three of those guys at the same time. And that was kind of cool for a year. Um, and then they ended up with just Lockett. And so then they went, okay, that's not going to work. So they went and got, uh, they went and got, uh, drawn Brown as a kind of a, a hedge and then drafted DK Metcalf and, and that worked really well. So it's time to go find the next guy. I agree. Who's the guy that's going to make Malik Turner expendable a year from now. It'd be nice um, to find the next locket, to be honest, the guy that can come in this next year and do some uh, kick returns and punt returns. That's really dynamic mm-hmm. stretches the field. Um, and then comes into a larger receiving role next year. Um, you know, and the other thing, too, I was going to say is that, you know, Seattle's always been known for dropping back in the draft, dropping back, dropping back, dropping back, picking up extra picks. You know, Seattle's also shown a willingness to trade up as well when they find the special player. And they did that with Tyler Lockett in 2015. And they did that year with, with DK Metcalf. Metcalf. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this is a position where they've shown that when they identify a guy that they really like, they'll go and get him. So maybe that yep. can happen. Okay, I'm going to stop so, with okay. my list because we're, yep. we're getting stop with yours. here. Um, I was just going to say, we got through my six. My sixth one was tight end. My number seven was running back, which is one that you haven't mentioned. And it's yes. entirely because I just don't know where um, Penny's knee yeah. is going to yeah, be yeah, that's and, really and everything. Um, it looks like uh, Carson's hip is way uh, a way m- more minor injury than we originally were told. Um going into the off season. So that's great sign. You've got your number one, um, but process is gone. He was never a guy that you could trust. Um, Homer is a guy that you can't run between the tackles, but he might be able to be a third down guy, but who else is left? Yeah. Right? You've got to have um, a hedge, at least one guy that you could potentially cut in training camp. Yeah. So for me, I, I see this, and that's why it was lower on my list, uh, was because I thought that they would just bring in kind of a journeyman guy. Uh, can, you remember mm-hmm. when they brought in Edger and James one year? A, a guy that's you know, almost done, uh, that you could bring in, low-cost, veteran minimum guy that could hold down the fort, take some carries if you needed um, a good guy in the locker room, um, that sort of a thing, and, and, and yeah. tell Penny was able to show exactly where he's at. So to me, what I'm looking at is a, you know, mid late, you know, fifth to sixth round draft pick, a guy that they, when they looked at Chris, Chris Carson was a seventh. You might be pick. right. You might be right because and, Chris Carson's going to come up on a contract year. Yeah. And so you go get, go draft a guy and sign an, an undrafted free agent, a couple of different players that can come in and compete um, to be that backup. If Penny, isn't fully healthy. Um, and on top of that, you know, Homer is a limited guy. He's a guy that's going to be your third ground, third, third down back. I can't even talk right now. Um, he's going to be your third down back or, you know, that's at, at most, he's never going to be an, an, an every down player. So you go, uh, find some guys that can, you know, compete with Homer and, uh, might be a, um, you know, a backup if Penny isn't ready to go, um, that kind of thing. Go go spend your fifth and sixth round picks on guys like that. Um, but it's not going to be a high priority. You've got Carson, who's one of the best running backs in the entire NFL, right? You've got Penny, who is excellent 
he'll be back eventually. He'll probably start the year on the pup, but he'll be back in week six or week eight. Um, can you wait till then? You know what I mean? You've got guys. So you're not going to spend a bunch. You're not going to spend money. You're not going to spend a high draft pick, but you still have to go find another player. And so to me, that's my, uh, my number seven, um, which ended up being that my number six and seven were both on offense <laughs> to go with, to go with number two, but the rest of it was all defense. That's so, funny. And I think at that moment right there, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Cause cool. we are, uh, we could, we could talk about every position and we will, we will, as we go through all this, this oh, whole yes. process. So any great show, Keith, <laughs> great show, a lot of good information, a lot of good names, a lot of good ideas. Yep. I think they should be listening to us because we definitely had one or two key things I think maybe somebody could use. I don't know. Um, okay. So until next week, follow Keith on Twitter. He's at Myers NFL. I am at NW Seahawk. The show is at SeahawksPlaybook.com and at Hawks Playbook on Twitter because I couldn't uh, choose the name Seahawks Playbook because it was one character too long. I hate it when that happens. Twitter. Um, and uh, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, iTunes, uh Castbox, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. So Spotify. We're on Spotify now. Um, which we, we we were for a little bit and then for some reason we weren't and now we're back. Um and uh stay tuned because you know Bill and I are making uh little changes in the behind the scenes kind of yeah. stuff. Uh, and it's has nothing to do with any of you that are listening and which great your all of your feeds should continue <laughs> to work. But we will be available in more places for those of you that have a hard time finding us. And that will only be good things yeah. for everybody. Awesome. And thanks for listening, everybody. So until next week, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Hawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts or listen at our website, hawksplaybook.com. Follow us on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. See you next week. And go Hawks.